Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I am your host, Hillary Jones. So last week is a bit of a blur. I got real sick and thought I had COVID, but it turned out that I just had really bad allergies that turned into a sinus infection. And I don't, yeah, I don't know what happened. I was, I was pretty out of it all week. Uh, I'm still getting over it and I'm, I ended up getting behind in everything. So I decided to do a solo episode here for you on a topic that I think is super important. And I know it is, uh, it is important because it is clearly something that people are very concerned about because they bring it up in basically every single workplace I work with. People are concerned that their workplaces will no longer be fun or that they will have to walk on eggshells for the rest of their lives. But as it turns out, they just need some education, some empathy, and a Venn diagram. What can't a Venn diagram do, right? But before I get into that, I do want to thank this episode's sponsors. So first of all, Earthquaker Devices team. If you follow the Earthquake social media, which, of course, you should, all of it, uh, you can see that something very exciting is coming. The Earthquaker team has been hilariously teasing the release of a new signature pedal for a Wada of Boris. As of this recording, we don't know what it will be just yet, but if you know Boris, you know that it will be heavy. And that's a good thing. So the release is imminent, so definitely keep your eyes peeled to all things Earthquaker uh, for that. And can we just mention for a moment how few signature pedals there are for women musicians and especially women of color? Can you think of even one? I can't. I can't. I, I can think of a couple of special edition paint jobs to already existing pedals, but that is it. I honestly can't think of one. So huge kudos to Earthquaker for crushing it once again. I can't wait to hear it and hear more about it, and I'm on the edge of my virtual seat. So, for merch, pedals, and more, check out EarthquakerDevices.com. <coughs> I also want to thank Stompbox Sonic. Stompbox Sonic provides musicians with an extensive tonal palette for auditory exploration. Specializing in effects pedals, they offer a curated collection of companies, large and small, some locally crafted, some assembled from around the world. Adam and Jen have been helping musicians and sound-based artists find their sound since 2009. That's a long time. By working collaboratively through one-on-one -on -one, uh, consultations, they do more than sell you a pedal. They ignite the creative spark to bring your music to life. We all need that, right? They create a comfortable, judgment-free environment for all musicians where sonic experimentation is encouraged. Whether you play guitar, bass, trumpet, harp, roads, circuit bends, speak and spells, Stompbox Sonic will work with you to find the right effects to fit your project. Boom. Last but not least, thanks to Holcomb Guitars. Nick Holcomb builds beautiful custom guitars to your specifications and has a mobile guitar set up too. That's, it's just, it's too good. It just comes to you. He will come to you in Rhode Island or Massachusetts, maybe Connecticut, I don't know, either fixing your guitar on site or picking it up and dropping it off when he's done. It's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. No one does this except Nick. 
it's great. He has uh, set up, repaired, and modified many of my own instruments, and he does great work. I also like knowing that we share values on very important topics, and I'm guessing that if you are listening, that is also important to you. Uh, yeah, it's it's so big. Nick will treat you like a regular old human person in the world who deserves respect. Who knew it was possible? If you want to learn more, check out HolcombGuitars.com or follow him on Instagram at HolcombGuitars. All right. Before I get into the content, I want to remind you that I am running a 5K, and by that I mean I am participating in a rock roulette with some other awesome musicians, and we spent the last 10 weeks writing songs, and we'll be performing next weekend as a fundraiser for Riot Rhode Island. So it's like a 5K, except instead of music, I'm sorry, instead of doing, <laughs> instead of running, we're playing music, because obviously I'm not running anywhere. Uh, yeah, you. if you want to support girls, trans, non-binary youth playing music, I hope you will support by donating if you can. I'll have a link in the uh, show notes if you have a few bucks to spare. That'd be awesome. Also, if you're in or around Rhode Island, we may or may not be performing a cover of Heaven by Brian Adams. Who's to say? I don't know. Come check it out. All right. So let's talk about jokes. I mentioned at some point over the episodes that as things had started opening up and I got vaccinated over the summer, I had seen two comedians, Phoebe Robinson and Mike Birbiglia, but I had not seen a band yet. I have, I have since seen a band, but <laughs> it was funny to me that that's the case because that was never the case earlier in my life. I'd barely ever seen stand up. Um, and in no way do I consider myself like super knowledgeable about comedy, but I do appreciate it when it's done well. And I'm bringing this up because, as I'd said, in pretty much every workshop or training I give and in the general culture as a whole, there seems to be a huge concern that people just aren't allowed to be funny and especially funny at work anymore. So my burgeoning love for comedy, as I'd said, has increased over the last five years I was often so stressed and tired from like running a nonprofit, attending to a baby, that I could pretty much only mentally commit to watching stand up. And because I knew I didn't have to like think about it, it wasn't going to be a big deal. I was probably going to laugh. And it was a bit of a chicken and egg situation where <laughs> I'd watch one or two, spe I'd watched one or two specials and then the Netflix algorithm did its thing and I was pretty much only presented with stand up as a viewing choice for a while. Anyway. I find myself thinking a lot about what I find funny and what other people find funny and why certain comedians or individuals in my life and in workplaces more broadly, in music spaces, make particular choices about the jokes that they tell. But up until recently, I'd never really researched like the academic literature surrounding it. I don't know, which is just something I like to do sometimes and, you know, the literature around this is fascinating and explains a lot about the way humor functions and its connection to power. So why is this important? If you're a person in the world or more specifically a business owner who is running a company or an employee working with others in a company in music or beyond music, understanding when jokes are appropriate or inappropriate can be important, both in terms of like their ability to bring people in but, as you may have predicted, alternately, their ability to exclude others or even in their ability to lead the, to the creation of a hostile work environment 
which could increase turnover, get folks fired, or even lead to some sort of like legal or reputational challenges for a company, right? Or, or an individual. <laughs> uh, so what are the effects of this? So of course, ethical issues with, you know, jokes are more important than the business case. And there is plenty of research supporting their negative effects, such as, one, there's a study that found that men who score high on hostile sexism are likely to be rated higher on rape proclivity after reading sexist jokes. So they're more likely to say that they're likely to rape after reading sexist jokes. Another example, uh, two, another art, uh article found that after reading sexist jokes, participants were less likely to give money to a women's organization. So, you know, it just shows that they're, they're actually, this actually has a function, it's doing something, and it is bad. Three, another study found that when a speaker told a racist joke, participants viewed the speaker less negatively and were less likely to intervene than when they made a racist comment. And, you know, so you can see that jokes are kind of a way of softening this and it doesn't change the impact. The impact is still there, but people are less, they're like, oh, it's just a joke, you know? Um, and, you know, linguistic relativity shows us the importance of language more generally, not just jokes, in constructing how we view the world. world. So like how our brain and the words that we use are connected, it, it really does inform how we think about things. Um, and I'll get into that more fully at another time, but it's something that is super important. All right, so the function of jokes. Why, why do people tell jokes at all? There are a number of reasons, but much of the function is connected to, right, like sharing identity and connections to in-group members. And then, relatedly, delineation or degradation of out-group members, right? So you're, like, figuring out who is a part of your group, who's not a part of your group. And the jokes help to do that and like who you are as a person. So one way you can see this is through the performance of masculinity and heterosexuality present in many sexist jokes. So the joke is at once relaying to others that women are the quote unquote other, that women are objects or inferior or at least ununderstandable in some way. Uh, by separating themselves from women, the joke teller, the man, is making himself appear more powerful. And by not aligning with women, they're also demonstrating that they are not weak like women, because they're the other, or relatedly, that they are not gay, right? So there's there's always that implicit piece of this, right? Like, I am not a woman, and therefore I'm not gay. That's why people make those jokes. Uh, at the same time, such a joke you know, of that sort, it's meant to bring men together uh, in like identifying who their in-group is, which is men. By stating the otherness, right, quote-unquote, of women, it states that men, uh, what men are not, okay? So does that make sense? I hope it does. <laughs> it's, a, a, that whole piece is so fascinating to me. And of course, if the group the joke teller is speaking to laughs at all of this, the joke teller receives the message and then and they receive social collateral and power at the same time they receive the message that this is a good thing if someone laughs that's reinforcing it right so how do jokes themselves work right so this is 
this is the most interesting part of all this to me is just like the actual structure of like what makes something funny or unfunny. So according to this theory called benign violation theory or BVT, which is part of like the academic literature on joking by a researcher named McGraw, mostly this man McGraw, if you think about the content of BVT as a, a Venn diagram, right? We mentioned a Venn diagram, here it comes, with benign in one circle and violation in the other circle. A joke is funny when exists, it exists in the intersection between the two, okay? So in the middle there is the funny joke. On the other sides, not funny. So a joke is so bland or boring that it's considered benign uh, when that happens, it doesn't work if it's too benign. On the other hand, if it is such a violation of social norms that it's considered harmful, that also doesn't work. So in order for the joke to work, it has to be in that sweet spot where it's violating norms or expectations at least a little bit, but not too much that it's seen as like out of bounds, like morally or ethically, right? The problem, of course, is that many people have different definitions of what might be considered benign or a violation, right? You can see how groups who come from similar backgrounds might have similar definitions and therefore they find similar things funny, right? Like they have that same sweet spot. But those who are not from the same group might find a joke from that group as unfunny or offensive because they're not overlapping in the same way. And they might be totally separate from each other, no overlap. Power is, of course, a part of this calculation, right? So like you know, we find that research, you know, that people with more pe more power tend to have reduced attentiveness to other people's thoughts and feelings. You probably thought that was true. Research actually bears that out. My favorite piece of literature on jokes is by uh, Kant and Norman from 2019, and I will uh, add a link to that in the show notes. And it takes McGraw's original benign violation theory and sort of extends it taking into consideration all these power differences, like actually discussing how social distance affects people um, and how this all works. So very interesting. I highly recommend reading it if you want to get into this further. It's fascinating. So how does this apply in my workplace? You are likely making the connections here as to how this might be an issue for you in your life, in your workplace. If you have a super homogenous workplace, it is significantly more likely that you will have overlap in your benign violation Venn diagram among employees, right? Like that makes sense. When you begin a diversity effort, whether it's like hiring, marketing, customer service oriented, whatever, it is by definition going to place people with non-overlapping Venn diagrams in spaces with each other, leading to potential conflict with the jokes that would have previously brought a laugh, now potentially alienating and harming new employees or customers, and potentially leading to, once again, legal or some sort of like reputational issues. So, is it just a joke? Of course, there is a difference between someone telling a joke that like accidentally offended people and someone making a statement and later, after the fact, claiming that the statement was a joke, right? After, after they say it and they realize someone was offended by it. And there is a difference between someone legitimately not knowing that someone might be uh, offended and then saying it versus 
saying it specifically because it's offensive with the purpose of alienating others or making them uncomfortable or unwelcome. Two very different situations. So this delineation is important in determining how the issue might be addressed with the latter being like much more harmful and aggressive, right? An employee who engages in purposefully harmful behavior might need to find a new place to work, whereas the other might just need education, right? So now what? What do we do now that we know about jokes? <laughs> uh, of course, if you're an employee, understanding the power dynamics inherent in jokes are important, right? So now <laughs> the more you know, as well as understanding that <laughs> what your benign violation theory sweet spot is and how it might be different from other people's, right? You can be a little more intentional in the jokes you tell and who's in present is present when you tell them, right? Of course, jokes based on stereotypes are harmful regardless, right? Um, they reinforce those stereotypes and they're, that they're acceptable or accurate um, to the people around you, even if they agree and think it's funny, but it is especially important to know your audience, right? That's, that's probably the key issue here. If you really want to create a more inclusive workplace, it is super important to be thoughtful around the jokes you tell in the language more broadly. It doesn't mean that you need to walk around on eggshells, which we've talked about because you can build trust with your company, but it, it does mean that you need to be intentional. If you run a company in the industry, there are a few things that you can do, which I have outlined in detail <laughs> many times in the past in previous episodes and blogs. Most specifically, uh, I would say the ones on like where to start for men in the industry, and I'll have a link to that in uh, in the show notes. And you know, these things always deserve a reminder, but broadly speaking, you need to clarify expectations of behavior amongst your employees so people know what's expected of them and also build trust amongst employees, right? So if people trust each other, then you don't have to worry so much about people walking on eggshells because they can just have a conversation if something comes up, right? Um, if you don't have trust, then that is going to lead to a lot of other issues. All right. So it's also important that you want to start these initiatives before you bring on said new employee so they don't get frustrated by the lack of overlapping BDPs or other issues and then quit in two months, right? So yeah, I don't know. Just it, it, you need to do it as soon as possible if you're planning to bring new folks on and just in general. And let's not forget, if you use jokes or memes in your marketing efforts, right? Memes, we've talked about memes here. Recognizing the BVP for those that you are trying to reach is also key as well, right? So a funny meme to you might be, not be funny to somebody else if they have a different BVP. For example, nagging wife memes. You get it, right? Comedians often speak about also like the idea of like punching up versus punching down. And I think that's just always a good reminder. If you aren't sure whether a joke is appropriate, think about the target and the power, you know, whether they have more or less power than you do, or you can just stick to jokes with no direct target at all, right? So this is assuming people want to do the right thing and not tell jokes that are going to be harmful to other people. I hope that's the case. So humor is one of the best parts of life, right? And it has the power to really bring us together in a lot of ways, right? But none of this means that you can no longer have fun in the workplace. That's not what we're talking about here. It just means that people need to be more intentional about who is or is not included in the fun, right? 
All right. So if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or ideas for the podcast or thoughts about jokes in music spaces, please send them my way and we'll have more interviews coming up soon. Thanks so much for listening.